Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Napa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'm Lisette, and I'm also a pastor here at the church. And uh, you get to hear from two pastors today on the podcast, and we got to hear from two pastors on Sunday, or whenever you got to listen, uh, as we heard from Pastor Anna and Pastor Jim as we continue to read through Ephesians. Specifically, we look, we're going to look at Ephesians 7 through 14 today, and uh, it was really cool to hear Anna's voice and her passion for discipleship and practically what it can look like as we kind of unpack this verse. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's. I mean, I really think the message is, is really cool, the way that they framed it out with two people and obviously love Anna's input. So yeah, let's let's take a look. We want to jump into Ephesians. We started last week and got as far as the sixth verse of chapter one. And uh, we talked about how Jesus has come to us uh, through the Father. But Jesus is the one is that, that functions somewhat like an umbrella. Anyone who comes under that umbrella comes to the Father through Jesus is considered chosen because Jesus is the chosen one. He is that elect one of God who 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 reaches out to the world and, and brings us to the heart of the Father. Uh, we also notice that the first 12 verses um, were, the, uh, were focused from Paul to the Jewish believers, and then the 13th verse makes a change. Now, Pastor Anna is with me today. Uh, Pastor Anna is in charge of the life groups and the uh, um, discipleship that happens here. Um, you're going to sort of hit on that verse 13. That became sort of a big moment for you. So we're gonna, what we're going to do today is I'm going to present some of these, this passage, and then Anna and I will discuss it, and then hopefully, hopefully we'll have some practical application that we can use this week in our, in our walk with the Lord. Um, we also um, gave you a homework assignment, and hopefully some of you did that, to, to take a, a yellow pad or some sort of a pad and make two columns, read through the first two chapters of Ephesians and, and talk about what does this verse tell me about God and then also what has God giving me, given me as a believer in Christ. So hopefully you, you uh, got a chance to do that. If you didn't, you can still do that. But I want to remind you that Charlie is, uh, is online right now if you're listening during the Sunday morning um, time. And if you have any comments about what you discovered this week or questions, he would be more than happy to interact with you. So um, a couple of uh, pictures I'd like to show you um, from some of the uh, archaeology of Ephesus. Um, uh, there are so many pictures I will show you over this, this, uh, this time together in this book, but these in particular sort of demonstrate the wealth of Ephesus. Uh, yes, it was a, a very prominent city and a wealthy city, but some of these homes have been recently uncovered, I'd say in the last 10 years, and what they're discovering is the really the wealth that was in this city. Now, when you think about this letter being read for the first time, it was being read to the church, but we can't picture church buildings uh, until about the fourth century. So just like you and me worshiping at home, that's exactly how this letter was written or read in the first time. So these might've been some of the homes that was actually written in. So I want you to have that picture in your mind. Look at those sidewalks. Uh, they are um, uh, a demonstration of really the power and wealth, and some of those people were being saved. So as we look at those, I want to 
Take us now into the 7th through 14th verses of chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation. Let's read that together. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, beginning reading in verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace. Who is he? This dear son of the Father, okay? He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. Are you ready for it? At the right time, he will bring everything together under the, under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, verse 13, this pivotal moment, Anna, mm -hmm. and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. Why or how? By giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. That is so rich with so much truth about who God is and what Christ has done for us. I want to point out just a few things. If you have your Bibles open or you have a notebook perhaps, a few things here that we need to understand now uh, that maybe they would have better understood 2,000 years ago. First is the phrase that stands out, purchased by his blood. Now, what does that mean? Uh, some might think that that's sort of an ancient or pagan view of the, of, of the world. And, well, we, we've risen above that. We don't need that kind of thinking anymore. So uh, it doesn't really make sense to us. Now, the word in the, in the Greek here is lutrosis, which is basically redeemed, but it's a word that is, really signifies the freeing of a slave to be set free. Um, in the ancient world, we need to understand that life was seen as in the blood. Uh, you could take a person who was completely healthy and normal. Uh, they've not been through any sort of an accident. But if you cut them in just the right place, this perfectly healthy person, as the blood would flow out of them, so would their life. And so it seems logical that they would see that life is in the blood. And which is also why the Hebrews understood that life belongs to God. And uh, also would help us understand that when God made the covenant with Abraham to give him family and land and a redeemer, right, to bless the world. You will bless the world um, that God cut a covenant with Abraham. Abraham understood this. This was a, the way you did covenants. Now, the picture that you see is a, is a description of that passage in Genesis where God says, prepare this so that we might 
make this covenant. Now, the lesser of the two is the one who would walk through the blood. But instead, God shows up and he himself passes through the blood, which is literally saying, if you disobey this covenant, Abraham, I will shed my blood. And that's grace. And exactly. I know we've heard a lot exactly. of people say, where's the grace in the Old Testament? There it, there is. it is. There right. it is. You don't have to pay the price. I'll pay the price for you. And then that explains then why Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he takes the cup, he gives it to his disciples and says, this is the new covenant. Mm -hmm. This is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. What he's literally saying is his life source, his blood, is going to be poured out as a substitute for us having to pour out our life source. And he established that covenant between God and us. Verse 8 talks about this kindness of God. That's clearly kindness. You can't get any more kind than that. Um, and it's that kindness that leads us to repentance. Plus, we gain this wisdom and understanding. And that word repentance uh -huh. means, it, it, the, the word in Greek is metanoia. Okay. And it means to change our mind. So to, repentance is to ch really God saying, I want to change the way that you think about how you think. So think, I want to change the way you think about, about the how, way you think. Yeah, okay? I want to give you the mind of Christ. Ah, which is the wisdom and exactly. the understanding. Exactly. I mean, to have wisdom from God is, is to have um, uh, his mind, which then would explain why Hebrews says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, right? That's right. That's interesting. So God is not manipulating us. He's not shaming us into relationship. He's offering us with kindness this amazing opportunity to come to him uh, as, as, uh, as in relationship with him. Um, and so then Paul talks about this mysterious will. Uh, you can imagine if you were a Jew uh, waiting for this uh, promised Messiah uh, even in the midst of Jesus's life, some of those Jewish believers didn't become believers until after the resurrection. They were confused. Mm -hmm. They didn't realize that this was the blessing to others, okay? So it was a mysterious plan, but Paul says, here it is. Here is the plan. Everything comes under the authority of Jesus. And back again to that umbrella graphic. Jesus isn't one of many options, Paul is saying. He is our only option. He is the elect one of God, who has this authority to offer us life as we believe in him. Um, and then we get to verses 11 and 12, and we're almost, almost there, Anna, to your, your, your verse in 13. But what we need to understand is in the original language, we don't have paragraph sentences and, and such. 11 and 12 are not meant to be read separately. We could lift 11 out and build a theology out of that, or we could read 11 and 12 together and realize exactly what it is saying, and that is this. You Jews, and Paul is saying me because he's a Jew, we were chosen to bring this amazing truth to the world. And now here it is. This, this amazing thing is that Jesus is for everyone, right? So, um, so verse 13 then becomes, we come to, come to this place where Paul changes from us language, talking to the Jewish converted, uh, converted Jewish believers, to all of us, the Gentiles who came out of paganism into Christ. Y'all are included. That's what he means. And so uh, we then have been identified as his own. Uh, and the spirit is, is how we know that we have been identified 
uh, by the Father as his own. So this God of the Bible who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives just by the very nature of who he is, lives in relationship. And so we're created out of that relationship in his image, which then stands to reason we're created for relationship. Um, I don't know about you, but this time, this pandemic, relationship is pretty important, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's, um, and, and let me just say this too. Sometimes people say, well, I, I don't really want to do the church. I don't, I like Jesus, but the relationships there are, are hard. <clears throat> yeah, they are, and they always have been. In fact, we wouldn't have the letters of the New Testament if it weren't for the fact that they were having relationship problems and Paul needed to write a letter. So can we understand that? The early church was not more perfect than we are. Relationships are hard. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we get better at it and we look more and more like Christ, but we're far from that. And this is a, a story right here in, in, the, in the book of Ephesians about just that very thing. We're learning how to do relationships. Uh, we're learning what it means to be unified. Uh, but like Ephesians, we're gathering in small groups. And, and uh, it, for the foreseeable future, we're going to continue to do that. And mm -hmm. that's a big job for you. I know you're trying to figure out how to do all of this. Uh, and it changes every day, doesn't yes. it? Yes, yes. Yeah, but uh, so the question, here it is. Um, it says the spirit is a guarantee. Now, I love the word here in the, in the original language. It's arabon which means pledge. Now you think right at first, it's like, okay, well, that's nice. But it has a betrothal, betrothal uh, uh, idea behind it. Sort of like uh, when you and Barry got married. Before that day where you said, I do, he put a ring on your finger long before that where you said, I will, right? That's right. So in that period of time, you look down at that ring and remember you were betrothed to Barry. You, you weren't married yet, but this was a reminder, a deposit, a uh, promise. Uh, a promise, exactly, a promise that there was going to come a day, a wedding day. So the Holy Spirit is given to us like that. Um, and let me before before I get to the bottom line here, how do I know if I've got the Spirit? There's so many verses we could go to, but Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is my go-to on that. And that is, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, in other words, result in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, if I see these uh, aspects of God's own character in me and developing in me, that is proof that I have been sealed with the Spirit. Now, I may not be excelling in all of those things, but it is growing. I'm seeing growth in my life. So, let me bottom line it here, Anna, and then I, I want you to kind of jump in and, and kind of grapple here. Bottom line is Jesus gave his life. He shed his blood for us. He was the substitute for us. Um, the other thing is, is that the Jews were clearly called to bless the nations at, at the call of Abraham, and they did that through uh, bringing us the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, that is God's big plan. We've been let in on it, the secret, right? To include, to include us. Um, and the Spirit is how we know that we have been included. And, and the Spirit is, is evidenced by the fruit in my life as I see it growing. So it really comes down to identity, just sort of what we talked about last week. Uh, in fact, Pastor Jeff, in our discussion of all this this week, said, 
you know, Paul is laying this foundation so clearly about identity that if we don't get this, we're not going to understand the rest of the letter. Because the rest of the letter could almost sound like, well, we've got to follow the rules. But the rules come out of knowing who we are. So tell me what you're thinking on all this stuff, because I know when we get to identity, this is a, this is a huge deal for, for discipleship and such. That's tell right. Us a little, yeah. That's right. Thanks, Jim. That's so good. For me, that verse 13 was just a pivot point for me, and it really jumped out and it grabbed my attention. Here's what grabbed my attention. It says that when you believed in Christ, when you came under that umbrella, he identified you as his own, that he is not ashamed of you. In Christ, he is not ashamed. And shame is an emotion that gets attached to identity and who we are. And I love, we sang about it this morning, Romans 8, 15 and 16. It talks about that we no longer are slaves to fear, but that we have been, when, when we came under that umbrella of Christ, that he adopted us as his children and he gave us his spirit Yes. So now we can call him Abba Father. We can f- call him Dad. Mm. And and for his his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. There's that promise. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it reminds me of back uh, in in Mark one at Jesus' baptism, and we see this happen at, at Jesus' baptism. The right. heavens split right. open, and the Spirit, here's the Spirit, yep. descends on Jesus, and a voice from heaven says, this is my loved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we use this as a, as a tool called the covenant identity triangle. But Anna, he's done all kinds of wonderful things. I and mean, of course God loved him. I mean, he looked at all the stuff that he had done. That's right. Not really. Okay. I mean, we're going to get to this. So let me explain the triangle. Right. So take a look at this, this right. triangle okay. here, and, and we're going to just paint a picture of what we see in Mark 1. Right. One, we see the Father, and he speaks this identity mm-hmm. into Jesus as a loved son. And this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Up to this point, there's no recorded miracles, mm. no healing, nothing. His identity comes out of just the relationship with the Father. Wow. And then through this relationship of as being a loved son, then the spirit compels Jesus to walk out into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan. And so I want us just to jump over into Luke chapter four and look at the temptations of Jesus. uh, Because what's really critical here in Luke four, as we, as you read the account it's the identity of God, of Jesus that's put into question right. in relationship right. with right. these temptations. He mm-hmm. says, if you are the son of God, if then... If you are, yes. And there's three things that, that the temptations um, are, are around. One is appetites, one is ambition, and one is approval. So let's just take a second and yeah. let's just look at this. So Jesus is led into the wilderness and Satan shows up and he first tempts him with appetites. And he says, he recognizes that Jesus is hungry. He hasn't been eating. And he says, Hey, turn these stones into bread. Like if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And he, he points out like, Hey, your needs are obvious and you're hungry. So you make it happen. Mm. And, and our appetites are about self-preservation and it's about numbing out or hoarding Toilet paper, but Toilet we won't paper, go yeah. there, it's okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's that when our appetites give us a sense of who we are by the definition of our need. Uh-huh. And so when those, those things become attached to our identity, 
we need to just stop and pay attention here because we're not gaining our identity in Christ. It's a false identity that has, right. has um, kind of drifted in. The second is this need for approval. So Jesus takes, or Satan takes Jesus to the high place of the temple and mm -hmm. underneath is uh, markets and people. there's people. And he says, hey, throw yourself off. Put on a show. And, and let everyone see, prove it, prove it that you're the son of God. And then you'll have people's approval. Mm. And so for us, as we identify that sense of approval for us and how we get our identity is that when we seek our identity through approval of others, we need to just stop and recalibrate our thinking. Yeah. God wants to change our mind about how yeah. we think about how we see ourselves. That's yeah. not in the approval of other people, right. but that we, that God's pleased with us. That's right. And the third is the area of ambition. And this is where Satan takes Jesus to a place where he can see the kingdoms of the world. And he points them out and he says, Hey, you can have a, have this kingdom. If you shortcut the cross, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to die. Wow. Bow down and worship me. And, uh, and things will go well for you. And this is when we attach our achievement or maybe our lack of achievement with our value and our worth. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is one that's really personal right. for me. Right. I, this is kind of my temptation. You know, I'm apostolic. I like to go and take yeah. ground and yeah, let's yeah. go, let's yeah. move, let's achieve. Uh, and I, you know, this really, I saw this in my life when I was playing college basketball. And when I had a great game, you felt good. I felt good. And yeah. I felt like, hey, I'm valuable and yeah. I'm worthy. Right. But when I didn't, my identity tanked and right. I just turned in and I was angry at myself. And it was, I was basically finding my identity and my worth in what I was able to achieve or not achieve. Right. And so it, it's mm. in these times that when we gain our identity through what we're able to achieve or not achieve, or we find our worth in our position, we need to stop, recalibrate and see that we have this position before God, that we don't have to prove it. We don't have to, to earn it. And, and I think Jim, it's important to know this is that all three of these desires for appetites, ambition, approval, all of these things are something that God has kind of created within us, right. but it's for him. Right. It's that, he, that when we go about the triangle the right way, we uh, see that the spirit fills us. Right. That's the appetite. And that he's pleased with us. That's approval. And then it's out of that identity okay. of Christ that he calls us to obey, to go out. The ambition. And to, to do things for him. To do things for him. But when we go backwards right. and we, we want to see, Hey, that there's a father and then I need to obey him and I'm going to strive Somehow I can earn his and love. I'm going to earn yeah. it. And nope. so then he'll yeah. be approved by, uh, I'll be approved of him and that, then he'll love me. Right. That's when we get it wow. backwards. And that's just our human nature and our human condition. And so yeah. this is why I love this tool is that, you know, in times like we're in right yeah, now, this, this whole time is, 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 is it's exposing our, false identities. I mean, you know, uh, I've talked to so many pastors and it's difficult. We're not interacting one-on-one -on -one with people. We're, we're looking at a camera and most of us have realized um, we have the perfect faces for radio. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this is a time where we're challenged. Uh, you know, does the church do fine even without me in? Yeah, it does. Oh, so is my identity in what I do or is my identity right. uh, is as a loved son? Right. Uh, so that what I do is just 
you know, a, a loving response to the Father. That's that's awesome. And and as I've been working with discipleship groups in this time, it's been awesome. Our discipleship groups have really amped up in this time yeah. as we have yeah. more time on our hands yeah. uh, to, to be together. There is a on common yeah, yeah on Zoom. There's a common thread that I I'm hearing about whether it's in discipleship groups or in meetings, uh, even in commercials. It seems our identities have been shaken. Yeah. And and this this virus, we, though we may have not ex- experienced exposure to it, it has exposed something within us. Yeah. And this is uh, when we can stop and look at our identity and how have we found our identity outside of Christ. Mm-hmm. It is his kindness then that leads us to To repentance, to change our mind about how we see ourselves. Yeah. So you got a challenge for us today, though. Yeah. So I have just kind of three things that I want to talk about. One first is that just to remind you, God's not ashamed of you. Oh, man. Amen to that. And that uh, anytime we experience, again, that emotion of shame, that speaks to the identity. And, and, uh, you know, for me, I had to spend some time with a counselor. Mm-hmm. to work through that because I had so much shame and I had to find out what was underneath right. that, what was causing that. And so I spent time with my counselor, Stephanie, and she was able to really help walk me through it and help me to realize like, oh, Anna, you have an over-realized uh, sense of, of responsibility and you're finding your identity in that. And so as I was mm-hmm. able to to see it and name it and, and identify it, then Lord started, the Spirit started to just really to help me to walk in Good. greater freedom of that. Yeah. And so... Just the idea of shame. God's not ashamed of you. Yeah. He loves to call you son and daughter. Yes, amen. Amen. Second is that anybody can come under the umbrella of Jesus, yes. that it is an invitation yes. that Jesus has made the way and he's pursuing. And so if you have not uh, called on the name of Jesus, it's all, all you have to do is just step into the umbrella and just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Yeah. And you don't yeah. have to clean up. You don't have to get it right. You, and you just, can't earn it. You yeah, you can't earn it. it. You yeah. just come. Right. It's it's right. it's a free invitation. Yeah. And the third thing is that maybe as we walk through these temptations today, one of them is really jumping out and grabbing your attention, and that's okay. Remember that that it's um, it's his it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. That there is no condemnation right. in Christ. So you can go back to that passage. And look at appetite, approval, ambition, and say, where, yeah. you know, where, where am I struggling? That's yeah. good. That's yeah, good. and so that's the homework. Look, the two, two, two scriptures look at. One, look at the temptations in Luke 4, 1 through 13, and just see what stands out to you. And maybe just talk to some friends about that. Okay. And, and how you've gained your identity outside of Christ, and just the recalibration that you're sensing that the Spirit wants to lead you into. Good, good. And the second is to... To look at Ephesians 1 and 2 in light of all right. of this. Right. And I almost see, I was looking at that, I almost see a third column. Yeah. Uh, I didn't make a third column, but um, so I, I, this is amazing. I see this truth about what about God, and then I see this amazing thing, what God has given me as a believer in Christ. But then I see this third thing in light of what you're talking about. So how does that challenge my, my view of myself or, or my identity? What does it tell me about who my my true identity? Like, for example, chapter two, verse thirteen, uh, Paul says, "We were once all far away, but now we've been brought near." That's an awesome truth. The the what that means to me as as a believer is that Jesus has made a way for me and to and for you to connect. But here's the third part, really, in light of what you just talked about. That means I don't have to strive to connect to God. He has made the connection. For me, I just need to walk into that. That's right. Even though I don't, I don't feel loved or I don't feel like I deserve it, it doesn't matter. 
That's how he views us. And that's amazing. It's good news. Yeah, it comes down to identity. We don't earn it. We don't receive it. Uh, we got to come under that umbrella. Uh, he wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, I'm so excited uh, to look into verses 15. And Pastor, uh, Pastors Charlie and, and Kent next week are going to unpack it. Now, Kent um, Delhuse has, has uh, preached here for a few times. And uh, he and Steph have, and their family have been attending Crossroads for a few years. But uh, as we're excited with Jeff and Beth about the beginning of, of uh, Cal Crossroads Caldwell, we also realize that they're going to be there um, full time. And so I've asked Kent, who still is uh, running Love and Transformation Institute and his uh, podcast, Growth Junkies, to come on part time here on staff to help us with some of the teaching load. So next week, Kent and Charlie together are going to have a, a discussion and dig out verses 15 on. So I'm excited about that. So folks, uh, this passage reminds us that we are loved not because of anything we've done. We're loved because he loves us mm -hmm. and he created us for relationship and invites us in. Please, please, if you've never, ever taken advantage of that opportunity, do that today. Yeah, I, I got to teach on Ephesians this past summer for our camp. And so it's been kind of cool to like look back at some of these passages I got to look at. And it was really cool to me how Jim dove into this idea of purchased by blood. And I think so many times as we read the Bible, there's a lot of blood, especially in the Old Testament. We're kind of like, what in the world's going on? But Jim did a good job of explaining that that life is in the blood and this life belongs to God and kind of the importance of blood when it talks about the fact that we are purchased by the blood of Jesus and kind of helps us unwrap something that is, seems very strange to us. Yeah, and I loved, you know, Anna jumped in right there and she said, you know, that's grace. And Jim, you know, was quick to agree. Yeah, that's grace. You know, we always think of this God in the Old Testament being so you know, heavy handed or, you know, where's grace in the Old Testament? And yet you see such grace given and such, um, you know, God bringing himself down to this level where he, he talks about this cutting of the covenant, you know, and that's just such a, I've always loved that teaching. It's such a beautiful passage. And when we yeah. understand what God's doing, yeah, it's grace. It's God's great love towards us. Yeah. I know you've always loved that passage about Abraham splitting the animals and yeah, I love just, that. you know, that mm -hmm. he walks through the middle and he takes the promise upon himself, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I love it. Cause like at first glance, right. The passage just seems like, you know, when you read it from our perspective, modern day, you're like, what in the world is going on? But yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful thing that God does. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, pretty cool to me too, this idea of the spirit um, as a kind of a guarantee. And this is throughout the New Testament, especially there's this idea of the spirit of God being given to us as kind of a first fruit or a first part of our inheritance. And how cool is it that we get the spirit of God and the gifts of the spirit in us for relationship. And I thought that was cool how they talked a little bit about you know, relationship can sometimes be hard. And, you know, sometimes people say, I don't want to go to church because of the people. And, and it can be a real challenge. Um, and yet we are called and the fruit of the spirit help us to encourage each other and, and to, to meet together. Yeah, absolutely. And then we jump into Anna talking about, you know, this identity, this idea of identity, and she draws this triangle and, and something, it's a tool that we use often when we do discipleship. Um, Anna uses it a lot and it's such a great tool to look at this idea, like our, where is my identity coming from? And am I trying to earn my identity right. or am I accepting, like I am a loved child before I've done anything. And right. it's, it's just such a helpful little, you know, you, you can pull it up in your head anytime and be like, am I trying to earn this right now? Or am I accepting what God yeah thinks of me and has done for me. And that Mark one passage, and they kind of jokingly said it, but it's like, oh wait, did he say he loved Jesus because Jesus had done a bunch of cool stuff? No, this is before Jesus begins his ministry yeah. and already 
God says, this is my son with whom I am pleased. So to know that before you've done anything good, and if you maybe feel like you've never done anything good, regardless, Mm -hmm. your father, God is pleased with you. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's just such a big, like we could just sit there for a second, right? That's such a hard thing to believe. And like, I was, I was talking to somebody just this week about, you know, she felt, I don't think God loves me or wants me and, you know, really difficult things going on for her right now and, and feels like God doesn't love me or want me. Why would he, I'm not good enough or I, I've done bad or, you know, whatever it is. And so for a lot of us, it can feel really challenging. Like really, I can't accept that. I can't accept that God would just love me and just choose me and just want me. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a, you know, they, they worked through that a little bit, but if we could just sit there in that moment and say, like, do I really accept that before I've done anything good or bad and no matter how much bad I ever do. Right. Yeah. Like Anna said that God is not ashamed of you. Yeah. Yep. No matter what you've done. And I think if you, if you did your homework this week and you look through the passage, Ephesians one and two, and kind of ask, what is, what is this saying about God? And then, um, what does God give to me? through Jesus. And then he added a kind of a new column this week of what does that mean about me? Mm-hmm. And I think as you look through that list of what it says about God, it, he is rich in mercy, yep. he is kindness. He, he ha- takes pleasure in, in bringing you into his family. It makes him happy to do that. Mm-hmm. And we get this image of a God who's not displeased, who's not ashamed, but is rich in kindness and mercy and wants to bring you into his family. Yeah, I loved I love that. What does that mean about you? Cuz that's I mean, when we get right down to it, most of us that's the question that we're asking, yeah. you know, internally. And in, in most situations, what does this mean about me? And so, you know, as you look at the scripture, I think that's a great question to ask. What does this yeah. mean about me? Yeah. yeah. And so we invite you on that, you know, we get to uh, so often, you know, the other thing we can sometimes ask is what does it say about God? Right? Cuz our idea yes, of God uh-huh. can be so make it so hard to come yep. to him, but so often right after on the heels of that question, what is this saying about God? Yep. It turns back to us. And then what does that mean about me? Yep. So if I truly believe that God is rich in mercy, that he is not ashamed of me, what does that say about me and the way I think of myself? And so as you're listening today, if you um, have felt ashamed, if you feel like that God is a disapproving and angry God, uh, I would just invite you, come explore with us who he really is. Because mm-hmm. you will see that, that he desperately wants you, that he is not ashamed of you, and that he loves you. Yeah, absolutely. We invite you on that journey. So thanks for joining us this week. We look forward to continuing uh, through Ephesians. I'm actually going to be part of the preaching team next week. So will set be kind on my portions of the of the, of the the sermon. That'd be great. Oh, it will be torn apart. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> so join us next week as we continue to unpack Ephesians together.